Hello, it's Charlotte's sister, C. Farrell, host of Powered by Age, Canada's longest-running senior-led podcast that invites you to do what you love. This podcast is for you if you love writing or telling stories, if you love sharing poetry or doing interviews. This podcast is for you if you love working on ways to create age-friendly cities. This podcast is for you if you love learning how to tame technology and get more out of virtual events, if you love finding more ways to share your heritage or traditions. If you love any of these things, you can go beyond listening and join our weekly podcast group. Simply email pbaafc at gmail.com and put your name in the subject line. Powered by Age is sponsored by the Government of Canada, New Horizons Grant, the 411 Senior Center Society, and G&F Financial Group. Good afternoon and welcome to Powered by Age. I'm Charlotte Farrell, your host, and we have a wonderful day today of continuing to celebrate National Poetry Day, where the theme for the month is speaking of intimacy. And we've been speaking of love, we're speaking of spiritual intimacy, and we are going to be hearing poems that people have brought to the table and maybe a little music. So without further ado, I'm going to, uh, we have some people that have got to go, some or others that are going to be coming in later, but this is also a weekend, leading into a weekend of four different uh, religious holidays. So we might be hearing some bits of philosophies or poems or messages used during those holidays. So the first person on today that's going to introduce herself is Dr. Ramona. (laughs) Hello, everyone. So I'm Ramona, Dr. Ramona Srinivasan. And I've moved to Vancouver a year and a half ago from Mississauga. And to Mississauga or two, four years ago from Bombay. So I'm a retired history professor, a writer of academic texts, and, and thanks to the encouragement of our renowned poets, Neil, Charlotte, <laughs> Leslie, I have taken baby steps in writing something for you today. So Charlotte, should I do that right now or later when everyone... We'll just go through having each person make their initial introduction, then we'll come back and have you do the first poem. Uh, Next was Prafula. Oh, hi. uh, I'm I'm retired teacher, and I presently live in Milton, and I'm really enjoying joining all the writing groups and poetic groups and all kinds, and I've been really encouraged by these groups to keep writing, so... Presently, I'm almost finished a murder mystery, a cozy murder mystery, and I'm hoping to uh, publish it uh, by the end of this year. Fingers crossed, you know. And I'm um, thank you, <laughs> thank you. And I'm also, uh, you know, working on other poems. And uh, today, I would like to read out one of the special poems from a book of mine that was given to be my professor. It's called Themes on the Journey. So later on, I hope to read that. Yes, along our journey, we'll love to hear themes on the journey. <laughs> yes, all, all kinds of different themes of love and death and, you know, independence, imagism, I mean, all sorts of things. So it's really a, a treasure of poems. Uh, we have a few other people who are joining us silently by phone numbers. So hello, the people with phone numbers, um, Neil and Leslie. 
entered the Zoom room at the same time. So, uh, Leslie, please go ahead. <laughs> yes, hi, I'm Leslie Hebert. I live in New Westminster. Uh, I am a teacher of English as a second language and uh, a writer of short stories, poems, and travel articles. And I did have a short poem today, if there's time, um, about intimacy with nature. So we'll maybe get to that later. Oh, definitely. Lovely. Definitely. Sounds lovely. <laughs> Hi, uh, I'm Neil Ryan. I'm a poet. Uh, uh, I'm a human being with a life of adventure. And what more can I say? I wound up at the in my senior years, writing short stories and poetry. And I have a poem today, which I'm going to read. And I think our friends here on, on I think uh, everybody's going to like this poem. It's, 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 uh, it's, it touches my heart. So it's called The Words I Love. So I'm, I'm, I'll wait for my instructions. From our, our master uh, leader here, uh, Sister Charlotte. Okay, and I'm I'm uh, I'm a poet, and I know it. And I'm going to share uh, a thank you to you because some might have to leave before the end. Thank you for being wonderfully you. You are a vessel to whom light and love flow. Your exchange of words, stories, and informative discourses have made our days seem lighter and taken the chill out of the snow. Thank you for the times you've called or Zoomed in to share. It's a wonderful, repeatable way to show that you care. As we wind our way away from the COVID shutdown, I look forward to when we can meet, greet, and eat around town. May all your positive actions surround you with joy. You are the anchor that was like a brand new toy. You placed the boys for someone's ship in stormy weather. You certainly helped to make all our lives better. Your own sister C. And now just before we begin lovely. sharing each person's poem, another person, uh, Jeannie, you can unmute. Uh, everyone has introduced themselves briefly, and then we're going to go around with sharing the poems people have brought today. I like her hat. I love that hat. It looks like it's, it's got a, diamonds in it. Reminds me of a Mexican uh, sombrero. <laughs> yes. Yeah, buenos, buenos dias, amigo. Amiga. Amigo, yeah, it's a sombrero. Mm -hmm. She might have gone away from her computer for a moment. So we'll come back to Dr. Ramona's poem. Thanks, Charlotte. Thank you for, for thanking all of us. We thank you for this beautiful occasion that you gave for all of us to meet and talk about something creative. So... Um, I've tried to write this haiku, which I read was composed of uh, five, seven, and five words, and tried to keep that theme of intimacy. So, um, here it goes. I saw two graceful seagulls 
flying together at dawn at Falls Creek, thinking winter turns to spring. Thank you. So Ramona, with haiku, um, sometimes it's nice to read it twice. Yes. Because they're so short okay. and then we can do pay that. attention okay. more closely the second time. You know time. what? Yeah. Thank you, Leslie. I thought everyone's going to laugh a lot at me. So thank you. <laughs> so I'll do that. I'll do it again. I saw two graceful seagulls flying together at dawn at Falls Creek, thinking winter turns to spring. Thank you again. Lovely. I like yeah, a it. nice thought of winter turning to spring. Thank you. I like I like that two graceful eagles. I I like that one. Yeah. I can imagine that, Ramona. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Normally see them on my early morning walks at Polsky. It was very visual. I, I was picturing them there. So thanks for reading it twice. <laughs> um, Jeannie? Hi. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, sorry about that. It was an ad. Um, the only poem that I have memorized is the Jabberwocky, and I didn't write it. Well, you all know it. I've I, I I've heard I remember hearing it, but I don't remember it. So you can definitely read it. <laughs> but uh, just before you came on, people briefly introduced themselves. So before you do it, would you? Introduce yourself. <laughs> well, I'm Jeannie, and uh, I was an artist for 40 years, but uh, I don't do that anymore. I'm a retired person. I have three kids. One's adopted. Um, I don't know. I think that's enough. <laughs> She's also a member of the 411 Center Board <laughs> and delights people with her cooking. <laughs> okay. And I've been cooking for Passover. Wow. So it was brilliant and the flying toes did gyre and gimbal in the wave. All mimsy were the burrow groves and the moan rafts outgrave. Beware the jabberwock, my son, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the jump jump bird and shun the frumious bandersnatch. He took his vorpal sword in hand. Long time the manxome foe he sought, then rested he by the thumb thumb tree and stood a while and thought. And as in a fish thought he stood, the jabberwock came whooping through the tuggly woods and burbled as it came. One, two, one, two, and through and through. His vorpal blade went snicker-snack, then left it dead, and with its head he went glumping back. And hath thou slain the jabberwock? Come to my arms, my beamish boy. O oh, fraptuous day, calucalay. 
he chortled in his joy. Was thrilling, and the slithy tone, the gyre and gimbal in the wave. On Mimsy were the burl groves, and the moan rafts outgrave. From Alice in Wonderland. Wow. One of my favorites. <laughs> I, I've never memorized the whole thing. The only one I've memorized. Mm. Oh, you remembered it well. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever anyone asks me to say anything, I recite it. <laughs> it reminds me of the poem that I had to memorize in high school. Uh, I don't know if anybody remembers the highwayman. But, mm -hmm. um, the high women, but I had to memorize it. Can you believe it? <laughs> we came looking at the old indoor. Oh that my was... God. Yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> the high women came running, running, running. And then when I was Anne of Green Gables, it suddenly reminded me of my school days. And I mean, we had to memorize all these long poems and then stand in front of the class and recite the whole thing. That's <laughs> I mean, true. That was, that was a lot to do, right? Well, some researchers has, has said that we that are in the baby boomer range will actually not have as much memory loss as younger people because our brain was trained to have a section where you hear things, uh, store it, and can call it back up. But now with people doing lots of multitasking, things don't stay in that center long mm. enough to get memorized. So. <laughs> Huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, our teachers expected us to memorize a lot of things. We had to memorize long poems. Like, actually, I do have the high women in here too, and I really remember it. Like, that is a really long poem. Yes. And then they expect us to memorize it by heart. <laughs> I mean, memorize the historical dates and the events by heart. Well, I remember when I sat for my GCE, my O-levels, we had to read like four different works. I think there was Chaucer, Shakespeare, and a couple yeah. of modern works. And we had to remember quotes from all those works yeah. and then yeah. write an essay and incorporate quotes into the essays. Yes, yes. And now, you know, kids take exams. They're all multiple choice. Right. <laughs> which, you know, is a piece of cake. You know, if you guess an answer, you're going to get at least 25% right. <laughs> yeah, you, you're you okay. You got a little bit correct, you know. <laughs> yeah. In our times, my God, and especially in geometry, I had to memorize all the theorems and it wasn't given to me. There was no cheat sheet or anything like that. Like, mm. can you believe that? Yes, and algebra, the formulas, and I mean, yeah. it's, uh, sometimes I sit and I work out something in longhand, and my grandson will laugh, and he'll say, he's getting it on Google. But, you know, <laughs> depending on Google to get things for you, sometimes Google goes weird. <laughs> and yeah. so people will be giving the wrong answers to things because there was this electronic blip that sent Google answering things, you know, answers to the yeah. wrong questions. So yeah, we have got something I, yeah. great. <laughs> I know. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but my mother used to work as a bookkeeper. And I remember like she used to keep a, a budget, a household budget book, and she would run through columns of figures, right? And she would just add them up as she went, blah, 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 blah. She'd run down the column, total it up, 
kept, goes to the next column, total it up. And I said, but mom, you know, I mean, she's in her 80s at this point. I says, mom, you could use an adding machine. No, I'm going to keep using my brain. And she was fast. Yeah. Yes. My, my brain worked faster when I was adding up things. In fact, I bought a deck of um, timetable multiplication cards mm -hmm. because we don't have to multiply so many things anymore. And I thought, I'm forgetting, you know, when it's like nine times six, all those things that we would be challenged on, on exams that uh, our teacher might walk by and say something from the timetable. And, you know, it didn't matter <laughs> that you did it last year. You're supposed to know it cumulatively all the way through grade six. Fifty-four. But, yeah, I, I, I can do it. I, I can do it. <laughs> uh, Profula, do you want to share your poem? Yes, yeah, sure. So as I was saying, um, there are a couple of really interesting poems from themes on the journey. It was given to me when I took a course many years ago, and there are all sorts of poems. So I'll just read one. It's called The Knitting Club. Mm. So I'm not sure what kind of a poem it is. Uh, Exactly, but it's kind of, it's very interesting. So I thought I'd just read this out. The Knitting Club. She perches, budgie-like, tries to ignore me. He tells me I don't know what pain is, sees me as a creature wanting to destroy her and a culture of crochet. We are all the same, she tells us. Teenagers, that is. It wasn't that way when she was my age. Oh, no. She wants me to learn to knit. Instead of having friends, of course, her life is to please everyone but herself. I let her string her own yarns. So just a little poem by uh, Stacy Kozawi, I think. But this is... Yeah, that was an interesting little poem. It was like uh, sort of a metaphor for being different, right? So everyone else is crocheting and she wants, she's going to knit. She's going to be different. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's a... It's, uh, these poems are great. They bring out a picture or, you know, they, some kind of an you know, inner, inner understanding or inner thought, you know. Mm -hmm. Even I fully don't exactly understand what I just read, you know, myself. <laughs> so I'm assuming it's between a teenager and his grandmother, maybe, or his mother, mm -hmm. telling him or her to do whatever she did when she was young. Maybe they crocheted and maybe they sat and they behaved and they were knitting things. And then um, the, the child doesn't really want to do that and wants to revolt. Yeah, it. so then that's mm -hmm. about tradition, right? Do we want to carry on the tradition or do we want to start our own? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's kind of interesting. And even about following directions, because I... I, I struggled to learn to crochet, but knitting, there was a part of my brain was just not having it. My aunt was there. Everybody, you know, all the girls know how to, to crochet and knit. And I could just picture that poem as, oh, the, the outside. Oh, I love one. crochet, though. I used to love crochet. Yeah, mm -hmm. I've been crocheting through COVID. This is another of my crochet. We crochet now. those little round little things and then join them together and make a nice little tablecloth, right? I made a blanket, I made a tablecloth, and I made nine different hats. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> and you know what I found? Because someone was showing us uh, Qigong and exercising your hands. This hand for a while had been hurting. But since I've been crocheting with it, the more I'm doing those different movements, the center of my hand, it feels yeah. much more limber. It doesn't hurt. So 
everybody could just pick up a <laughs> get a hook and hook away your crochet needle. <laughs> yes. Oh, I see Joel is connecting to audio, but we're going to continue on with uh, Leslie's poem. Like, this is about intimacy with nature. I was sort of thinking of the theme of intimacy that we're carrying on this week. So this is one I wrote uh, earlier this year. Still life with tree. I reach up to touch your branch and feel the energy radiating at the point of connection from your twigs to my capillaries from your branches to my arteries, from your trunk to mine. Roots branching from thick to fine to rootlets, root hairs continue eternally down to bedrock, drawing energy from the earth. Frozen in a snapshot of time, the timeless sensation I feel at this juncture now and forever just is. Mm. Mm. Lovely. Oh, I love that. I love <laughs> so much it. imagery, like the twigs and oh, you know, it, it just reflects what intimacy means because sometimes just saying the word intimacy, people think, oh, they're going to be talking about something dirty. So the challenge to speak of intimacy, <laughs> I thought it was great because it is really personal, but, but it's also enjoyable. So uh, yeah. thank you for that. I, I like the way you connected. I like the way you connected, you know, that I would love to connect that way with nature and I don't know how to connect, but when you say from the branches, you know, to your capillaries and then, you know, the trunk to your uh, roots, you know, and I thought, well, that was really nicely done, you know, because uh, you feel that there was a kind of a closeness or a connection to, to nature right there. Leslie, you yeah. reminded me, I, I, I live right across the park from the SkyTrain. And every time I go take the train or the bus, uh, I touch the branches of the tree, the pine tree that's between me and the, and yes. I, I say hello to the tree every time. Uh, it, you just, I, I went there with you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. There's also a, a Japanese tradition called forest bathing, which, you know, to go into the forest and just feel that connection. Yeah. 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 It made me want to hug a tree. And, you know, they make jokes about tree huggers, but I'm going to go uh -huh. out and boldly hug the tree down in my yard. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I feel the trunk of the tree and the bark, you know, and I feel the roughness of the bark and mm. I, I touch the leaves and all that. Just trying to feel grateful for a tree, you know, like nature, to be mm. grateful. Um, I would love to hold a bird in my hand, but then I know that would happen because I will never be able to do that, any of that. But the tree, just to have a feel for it, maybe then there might be some kind of connection or some understanding, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially the gratefulness because, you know, the tree gives us, it helps we get oxygen, it's there, you get a sense of what's happening by how the leaves are rustling. So a lot of yeah. things 
you know. Yeah, and, and to appreciate the tree because nowadays everybody's, they're chopping them off, you know. And the people don't understand that the tree gives you life. And, you know, I mean, so I just take a moment and do my part, you know. <laughs> Hello, Joel. Can you hear us? Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay. I'm just uh, one sec here. One sec here. Uh-huh. Hey, Joel. Yeah. Um, uh, regretfully, I, I couldn't get the one little connector piece I needed to be able to do a proper singing session for you. So I'm going to have to postpone that to the next time. Um, it's sitting there right in the studio and I didn't grab it on my way out of town. Uh, I'm currently in the, uh, the beautiful climate of my brother's place in Las Vegas where it's not snowing. So, <laughs> how, how warm is it there? Look at that. Oh, wow. oh lovely. Oh, my. Oh, you've got oh, trees. Wow. <laughs> yeah. There you go, connecting to nature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a heated pool yet, though, so it's, there's no swimming in it at the moment. But, um, yeah, I uh, had an opportunity to get away and haven't seen them since they moved down here because that was right before the pandemic. And uh, they moved from Alaska, from basically Fairbanks, up way up north, to... Uh, the summertime oppressive heat of Las Vegas. So <laughs> that's what they did. Um, but yeah, it's been a good, good visit so far. I'm here for another week and then coming back. So I haven't, I haven't been to the uh, Vegas strip or the casinos or anything like that. It feels way more like Southern California here right now than, uh, than being in Las Vegas. So I'm fine with that. Cause I spent a lot of time in Southern California and, it's nice to get away, just get out of the, out of Vancouver even for a little bit. And uh, yeah, so how's everyone doing? Always good. Good. Good to see you, Joe. You as well. But I had, my brother had this device here. Oh. Mm. Uh, it's a sure microphone and video Ooh. recording setup. So I was racing around trying to find that and then, um, you know, trying to get from one highway to another. And then it, it was going to take me on a longer chase than I wanted it to be. So I just came back and I gave up on trying to find the part. But otherwise, I could have figured out how to do this on the road, singing songs for you on the road. But I'm going to find a karaoke bar somewhere in Las Vegas. <laughs> do, do you write songs as well? Uh, I haven't in, I don't know, 15 years, <laughs> but I used to, I used to be the songwriter in, in the band. And then, uh, and then I got into the academic racket and uh, started writing in that regard. And that kind of killed my, my kind of desire to write in some regards. It's just, a, just a different type of writing. So I might go back to it at some point, but um I just don't feel the the songwriting urge at this point. I like to sing other people's songs. I like to, I discovered the Sinatra stuff and he never wrote any of his stuff and figured, okay, I can do that too. And there's just so many good songs out there that I uh, figure I don't need to, I don't need to add to them. I just need to, to sing them. So that's how I like to look at it. But Well, your Van Morrison is just 
divine. It really, it really, really blew me away. Really, I remember saying to you, "You're a singer." Yeah, yeah. It's on the podcast. It's on one of those episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah. Um. There was something else that I was thinking of in regards to trying to raise some funds around PBA and around other things, but using karaoke as a fundraising tool. Cause now that my band is starting to play again, we were, we were going to be doing a, an, a Ukrainian relief fundraiser event and looking at how we could use the format as a way to get people and companies to, pledge for songs or things like that in this sort of request way because there's a uh, a ukrainian woman in netherlands who is raising funds through all these different types of events and activities and it came up one of her things was um was for song requests the dj was taking song requests and taking donations and people pledging for that and i thought yeah okay that something that that I've thought about doing with uh, the band that I work with and how do we get other people engaged in it that maybe don't want to sing or don't feel comfortable singing, but go here, I'll get you money. So you go up and sing a song <laughs> and, uh, and that'll work instead of uh, the other way. So, so there's, there's something I'm working on regarding that. And I have to look at the licensing issues for doing that as well. And um, and as well as the licensing issues for, you know, if I am singing on a podcast and it's going out to radio, even though this is like pretty low stakes type of stuff, I would like to figure out how that works so that everything is clear and, uh, and then we can do that in a more comfortable way. So, so I'm thinking. Hey. About yeah. There was a question I had about if somebody um, wanted to hear a particular song because May and June, we're going to be doing some experimental shows where we do different things. So how hard is it digitally if somebody said they wanted to hear Strangers in the Night or whatever for you? To, yeah. How long does it take for you to find it and be able to play it? I mean, I, if I had that one piece right now, I have my iPad. I would have everything I needed except this one little connector that I could have done that. Uh, so unfortunately, I couldn't quite get that to work. But uh but the song database on the karaoke side, it's an app called Carafun. And um, it mostly has the licenses for everything. Some it doesn't. You have to kind of go elsewhere for it. But um, it's really not a hard, uh, hard task. And if anyone wants to look at the app and figure out, uh, you can like search the songs right in the app. And if there's a, a song on there that's in the app and you guys want me to sing it or learn it, then uh, you can you can let me know and I can find it there and then get that set up in advance. And that's K-A-R-A-F-U-N, Karafun. Joel, I have a Ukrainian song for you. It's a song of a young girl, so I shouldn't sing it. But it's 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 the it, the translation is it's late, it's raining a little bit, and I'm in trouble because I'm on my way home, and and my mother told me to be home early. <laughs> so, it's a cute 
cute little. I I, uh, I used to be able to be very fluent in Ukrainian, but it goes away when you learn Chinese. Yeah, I imagine. <laughs> I studied Chinese for a little bit, and it was very tough. So, uh, oh, yeah. I like I like Mandarin. It's Mandarin is easy. Easier than Cantonese for sure. It's, it's the Cantonese that is impossible. Yeah, yeah, the tones. Every every word, yeah, yeah, that we think of as a as a singular word, yeah, can have different meanings based on the tone of the word and the way it's pronounced. Four, four or five different meanings, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think language learning is where I kind of got a bit of my ear for singing before I started singing. So I think there's something related to language acquisition and uh, and and especially tones, right? Tone and, yeah, there is language yeah. and music are related. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Even in brain development, I've worked with some people that were working with uh, people who had had a stroke. In fact, a woman who was singing at one of our events in LA uh, began having had a stroke on the stage, and she, for a number of days, couldn't speak. And we, the therapist, brought a asked me if I had any CDs of music that she liked. And so he started to play them. And so the first things that she did was making the, the sound, you know, sound patterns and the, the humming, humming from the songs and then words. She was singing phrases of it. So there's something within that repetitiveness and also the intoning that reaches beyond what people might have said before was impossible, you know, with the stroke and people have lost their speaking centers. Yeah. It's not going to come back. It's really been shown that music can be one of the things that helps some people to rehabilitate their speech centers. Yes. And I mean, the old Jungian way of looking at things is that mem your memories are never gone, that they're just somewhere, right? Whether you have access to them or not is a, is the different question, but that everyone's memories are basically in a bank um, somewhere either within the neurological system or distributed between the neurological system and our social systems that our memories are somehow able to be accessed if we only knew how. So, and music seems to be one of those, uh, those key uh, ways of doing that. I wanted to ask you a question about music and intimacy for whatever reason the uh, national Poetry Federation uh, declared the, the theme to be speaking of intimacy. Uh, in songwriting, what does that mean to you? Uh, it's, I mean, any writing basically is, I don't look at writing as necessarily words on paper or sung things, or it's writing is just expression, right? Expression of something that's internal to an external audience. I, so the creativity writing um, while writing would, in, I guess, imply some sort of narrative, whether that's like a traditional narrative, but it's some sort of story that is being told about something that comes from internal. It doesn't necessarily be, have to be your, your own um, personal story, but that it is, it has some sort of, components of of a story of a narrative um even even the existence of the the piece has its story uh as a as a as an object as a you know as a text and uh and these things relate to other stories and, and create the the larger sort of context for that piece so um 
I mean, the, the intimacy is the part that comes from self. Um, and when it, it feels like the audience is small enough for that work. And yet that work, even though it's for a small intimate audience connects to a larger audience and becomes something that resonates because of something common to people and, and whatever that work is. So, um, you know, again, I, I just brought up Jung. Uh, he looks at archetypes of, of people's stories, right? That there are commonalities and others will argue against that and will say, oh no, that, that's, these formalisms are not, not, not essential that, that we create them. And so I, I've kind of gone all over the, the map with trying to understand where stories come from. Um, but I do have sort of models where that, and then this is an expression of myself as somebody who's a academic and trying to understand things like, how do I frame these things? How do I frame what it means for a story to have these essential elements to it, right? And so, for example, you can look at the who, what, when, where, why, and how of a story as these essential components. Um, is that intimate? No, though that's something that just is common. But what's contained within those who, what, when, where, why, how objects, that, that becomes where it's personal, right? So here I am in Las Vegas. That's aware that many people have been through Las Vegas. Well, now it's got a personal side to it that it didn't for me before because it's where my brother and my sister and my nephew have moved to. And, uh, and so it takes on a different resonance. Um, and, and even to that point, because I'm not on the, the normal place I'm usually in Vegas, which would be on the ground or the Vegas strip or at a casino or someplace where you're, you're coming to stay in Vegas, right? It feels more like California to me. I'm off of the, the beaten path, so to speak. And the weather feels Californian. And I spent a lot of time growing up uh, in California. So it does feel like a kind of a home in a way that I never experienced Las Vegas before. So that, I guess maybe is a, an intimate sort of understanding of one thing about a story, which is place. So. Right. And relationships, speaking of loving a place and loving something, Neil has never written a poem. I think that he doesn't love and he has what he's going to share with us today, but he has an intimate relationship with sharing words from, um, spiritual and other things that have happened or are going on within his life. So Neil, do you want to share the poem that you have today? Sure, I'd love to. This poem is really about the words I love. And as soon as I pop open the document here, there we are. The words I love. Sanskrit has 96 words for love. The original Persian, 80 words. And the Greek still has three. We all know that the Inuit has 30 words for snow, 
But did you know they have also have five words for love? Most languages have multiple words to show levels of affection, but like it or not, English fails miserably with only one word to express feeling love. I love a million things in varying degrees and various levels of intensity. With few choices, my quantifying my quantify to quantify my level of affection the default habit becomes I love. I love dogs, cats, clear winter nights, a full moon, rainy days, roasted beast, and my partner. How big is the range of people, places, and things that you can say that you love? I love comfort food like turkey with mashed potatoes and gravy. I love sunny days in autumn, spring flowers, and long country drives. I love the warm memory of my mother infused into our, of the love my mother infused into our food. How do you reach into the past to keep a loved one's memory alive? I love my grown son and often tell him so. I bonded with him when I held him to my chest to ease his colic. That gave me a gift to keep during the difficult times that were yet to come and to go. How often do you express your love to those close to you, but were not always perfect? I love my adult estranged daughter. Does she still love me? She did once, but perhaps she can't know what's hidden behind her anger and her sympathy for her mother. She may have my genes, but I do not own her, nor would I want to. How do you release the impossible challenges so that you forgive the other? He was a truly beautiful human being, and I arranged his funeral. I held his daughter off the fantail of the boat as she poured his ashes into the sea. I deeply loved Richard, said in many ways, but never spoken. How well do you remember those that have passed and are now free? I love my car. Well, it's actually Michelle's car, but I get to drive it. Most men know a loved machine always runs better. There's no debate. What's the word that best describes how much I love that little car? How wide is the range of things and places that you appreciate? Long ago, I loved a dog named Tanya, a beautiful Sammy always wanting affection. I love rainy days, deep snow, early mornings, and moon and late at night. Still, there's nothing finer than a warm sun, a gentle breeze, and the sound of surf. How wide is your range of sensuous sensations that give you delight? There is romantic love reserved for those that complete us, 
those that share a bond of trust, those whose soul is recognized by your soul. And this person is one that I can share my heart with. How do you profess your love for the intimate soul, always willing to stand by you? How do you remember those you have loved, even though you may not be, you may now be apart? Is love temporary? Or can I still love my exes, all of them? And finally, how well do you love yourself? End of poem. Yeah. I love that Eddie. poem. <laughs> As yeah. I listened to that, Neil, I was listening to, you know, all the various things you love and thinking we should have different words for those types of love, right? Because you've got you know, sensual enjoyment of food, you've got romantic love, you've got love for children, parents, family, love for your possessions, right, your car. And those are actually all different feelings. Yeah. Uh, love of animals and nature, and then love of yourself. And I think people tend to throw the word love around too casually, you know. You know, oh, I just love it, right? <laughs> I just love my new whatever, my new hat or whatever. Yeah, a very shallow use of the word love. One, one of the lines that I like are is, is that we all know the Inuit have 30 words for snow, but did you also know they have five words for love? But And I didn't know that, yeah. And, and, and Sanskrit. I don't I don't read Sanskrit, uh, but but it has 96 words for love. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And so um, when I heard that the Greeks have three, I think three or four words for love, I was thinking, how could they have different words for love? But then when I read the definitions of those words, it made sense. You look worried, Joel. <laughs> I was trying to find a. Uh something with some poetry to it that I just recalled in my head here. So I'm, I'm trying to dig this up. That's kind of relevant. So give me one minute here. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Thank you, Charlotte, for, uh, uh, you, for inviting me to share a poem about intimacy. The last week you, you gave us a physiology <laughs> history uh, lesson uh, with your poem so this year I mean today it's a journey toward all of those those words and just thinking that someone at some point uh, considered the difference in agape love and filial love and family love so thank you for intimately sharing that poem <laughs> and those pathways of thought with us <laughs> that's My what made me think it's a trust because intimacy when you trust somebody, some people are fearful to share their, their little poem or big poem with people because they're afraid that people won't accept it. So it's, it's really an act of intimacy when somebody shares their song or their words or their story with another person. So on, on that note, that's what got me, me thinking is um, I have these songs up on SoundCloud and, and audio experiments and podcasts and things like that. And uh, and it got me thinking uh, the 
what my dad used to do. I'm at my brother's place and, and I'm the younger brother and my older brothers had more years to experience this guy and his kind of, uh, his, his, his charm or Irish thing that he would get up in front of a bar or a room or some in this case. And the link that I posted was, uh, was the wake for my aunt and he would get up and he would sing a song or recite a poem, whatever it might be, usually with an Irish type of background to it. And then he was a fisherman and this particular poem song, uh, Fiddler's Green, that was one that was really kind of encapsulated him to a degree. Like he could recognize himself in this work and, and, and then would sing it, uh, you know, at the right always at the right time you'd have, you'd have the right time for these songs or these poems and and this was one of them and i happened to have uh an ipod at the time this would have been 2000 and let's say seven and had a little microphone plugged in to the bottom of the ipod and and had it recording there and uh and this is kind of like in terms of like the intimate experience of my old man and what he would do this it really kind of captures that where he's got this little room of people everyone knows when when he's about to deliver a poem or a song and uh, and anyway he sang this for for my aunt who had just passed away and uh really kind of to me captures that that intimacy of a moment and uh he was he was a master of moments that guy so so anyway that would have been luke's grandfather mm. uh my dad and uh, and also my brother's dad, obviously, and my sister's dad, Luke's mom's dad. And so uh, apparently I, I look like him quite a bit and take <laughs> take to uh, some of his ways. So uh, so anyway, I just wanted to share that. That was something I figured I could share with you all. Oh, we're looking forward to you sharing the song when you're able to be equipped <laughs> for us to hear it. Yeah, one of these days. I'll, uh, I'll be, I'll, I mean, I've sang it too. So, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, I, I posted that in the chat for anyone who wants to check it out. So. But, and I want to tell you who, who don't know, when you go to the chat and you look down at the bottom on the right, there are three little dots. Someone was telling me about these dots. I swear there were no dots there, but there are three little dots. And when you click them, it says save chat. So you can yeah. save the chat. And then oh. after the podcast is over, it will be in your computer, usually under a folder that Zoom makes a folder called. Oh, that's great. Zoom. And that's where you'll see the chat from the, the meeting. And, yeah, and you, have to, you have to save it before the Zoom call ends. Otherwise, right. it disappears. Otherwise, I've made that mistake yeah. a number of times, <laughs> thinking that it'll still be there and all this, you know, on a, some conference event and everybody's got these great questions. And then I go back for it and I'm like, ah. So you can you can also good. you can also just click on the the the, the chat yeah. and your computer will open it up so it'll be there when after the after the, the pro, after the Zoom is closed the if link you, will yeah it will just open it up yeah but it won't it won't save all the messages like right, right. now there's only one one link on the chat but if you had often like in some some conference events you have this kind of side conversation happening yeah, while somebody's yeah. speaking and those side conversations yeah. can be very interesting as well but if you forget to save them then they're they're gone yeah earlier today i was on one um 
and it was writers and people were putting tips in. And then uh, a person was telling people a lot of free resources for writers and they put it in the chat. And so when I looked and saved, it was a little small, but I highlighted, highlighted, put it into Word, and I enlarged the chats so that they are 12 point. And it was very useful. So that's a thing we're just encouraging people to do. Um, some places you aren't able to give the name of where people can find your book, but you can put this, they'll say you can put your information in the chat. So I'm just chatting about the benefits of saving chat. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay, did, Thank you. Did anyone else have another poem that they wanted to share? I have the one from last week about intimacy as well. I don't think that one is longer. I don't think we have the time. No, no, no. It's oh. only five stanzas. Oh, okay. No. Intimacy. A kiss so tender. It is but a touch of a feather, a caress so soft, so smooth, the sensation lingers. Into me is both pain and pleasure wrapped together in the same moment of desire to pleasure the other. Intimacy is a sharing of breath that fills the space between with a sweetness and a longing to become one. The yearning is to destroy the ego and merge into a shared reality of caring and trust, certified into, personified into a loving bond. A kiss so tender, it is but a touch of a feather, a desire to transcend the limitations of separation and enfold into the joy of defenseless connection, into the open-hearted laughter of the child experiencing joy. Intimacy is a mother's love of her baby unbound, her fierce guardianship, and held up as her gift to the world. While the father's protection, gift of protection, from the intrusion of an unwanted, careless world wanting to devour the unguarded. Intimacy is a moment in love that shares a moment in love. It is soft and inclusive. It is deep inside the truth of you and is always a moment of vulnerability where sanity is found, as is a kiss so tender, it is but a touch of a feather. End of poem. Mm. Lovely. So tender. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to uh, leave. I am blessed with a gift for words. Yes. For sure. Imagine that we would have never known. <laughs> <laughs> That's very nice. Very Thank nice. You. Thank you for all the ways that you have blessed our podcast with your poems. Um, we are at our hundred and second episode, and within that hundred, I'm sure you probably have seventy poems, Neil. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. 
Next week, we are going to continue on with this um, theme of intimacy. So I encourage you to write a poem uh, and to reach inside. I'm doing a work uh, on, it's an inside job. And a lot of people don't deem themselves worthy. Uh, Joel worked with us when we first began the podcast. We had about 15 people. And when we were asking some about going into the next one, they had had a chance to hear themselves on, on a, a podcast. And a lot said, I don't like my voice. So we continue to encourage people here to read their poems and fall in love with your voice because love it, <laughs> your voice is the eye. So I'm going to share one stanza of a poem uh, called Rebirthing Eye Worthiness. You are the beloved of your innermost heart. With each beat, a thunderous reminder sounds. Yet sometimes it falls into the abyss, the abyss of misconceptions about I worthiness, the abyss of mistrust fed by misconceptions of how marvelous it would be if you felt fantastic about I. You are the eye that has smelled the sacred essence of fertile dreams. You are the eye that has felt brilliance brimming over with solutions. Solutions to family matters, financial matters, environmental matters. You are the I that has voluntarily surrendered its voice, surrendered its power, surrendered its sweetness. Now, step into the bliss of birthing I from its cocoon. So birth something from your I cocoon and share it with us next week as we continue with Powered by Age. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you. That was lovely. <laughs> Thanks, Charlotte. Thanks, Thank all. You. See Thank you, you again. <laughs> I'm going to go uh, pull on the slot machines and uh, see if I can win. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> well, save a little piece for each of us. <laughs> yeah. That'll be uh, fundraising. Fundraising. Yes. Right? So, uh, <laughs> do it that way. <laughs> Have a good one, folks. Have a beautiful weekend. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Bye, everyone.